Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mitzi, and I'm here with a special guest today. We are thinking about violence. Why don't you go ahead and fully introduce yourself, Trent? Hello, my name is Trent Gander. I'm a freelance copywriter, which means I do things like emails, ads, articles. And one of my specialties is dealing with the firearms sphere, weapons, history, the development, and storytelling. So I'm really looking forward to this topic because I think it's probably one of the more misunderstood topics. And it's extremely important, especially in today's society, that we understand it in order to be able to compensate for the damage it causes and the causes of it so that we aren't surprised or we understand the problem so that we can solve it rather than having to be caught unawares. That's the best yeah. I can explain it, unfortunately. No, I understand what you're trying to say. Basically, to have the knowledge versus not having the knowledge at all and then needing yeah. the knowledge, but then don't have the knowledge. It gets into a really bad cycle where people forget that. And it was kind of like you were saying to me, you stated that sometimes there's an extreme, you know yes. what I mean? From one side yes. versus the other. Yes. And it really had me thinking about that today. All day, I was honestly thinking about how we in our society, we always have these extremities of either something very positive or something very negative, yet lacking the people in the middle, that balance that's really been maintaining this topic in reality. Because there's a lot of people who have firearms and are responsible, who have firearms and know what to do and how to work with it properly. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I feel that those type of people aren't giving credit, you know, and because people aren't giving credit to the people who already know how to keep that balance, mm -hmm. it kind of makes it bad for the rest of us. And you know what I mean? Exactly. Now, to give a to give a better description, I view the the realm of violence as a massive spectrum. There are three major touch points that we have to go on. There is the warhawks, who are the individuals who think violence should be used at any given time for every single solution. That's the extreme where violence is the answer to everything. And on the opposite side, we have the extreme pacifists who think that any and all violence engaged in is wrong. And it's morally wrong for you to be able to defend yourself or do anything that is even remotely similar to violence. And in the middle, you have people who think that violence is a solution. It's not our first choice, but sometimes situations dictate that we have no other recourse but to use violence. And of course, between these three touch points, there's amazingly different and varied ideas, especially when we start to look back into history and see just how they viewed violence and how almost every single myth and legend has something involving either conflicts between people and conflicts between gods and people. And there's always some sort of spiritual aspect overlaid on to it that I think is really forgotten in the modern world because in the West we are so separated from spirituality, from the concepts of religion, from even morality in large occasions. And that's in part the root of the problem because they look at the tool, violence, and they only see the tool and they see it in terms of morality only. Like it's only bad, it's only good when it doesn't care. It's completely neutral in how it's applied. It's who is wielding it, who is engaging in it that determines whether violence is good or bad. Correct. I, I think that's right. Our morals are very black and white sometimes, and it doesn't allow us to see that equal medium, you know, and I think what would be considered to be the perfect balance in your opinion, you know what I'm saying? What's the perfect balance? I think the, the 
true answer is found in someone else's work. An individual named Thomas Paine, he was a, a Quaker at the time of the founding of the United States. He was one of the founding fathers, and he had a treatise called Thoughts on a Defensive War. Now, for background, Quakers were a group of extremely pacifists, Christianity. They believed that any and all violence was wrong. But Thomas Paine did not adhere to this. In his, in his treatise, he went over that, I, I'm going to paraphrase it a lot here. He says, if the entire world could resolve all of its problems with just negotiation, talking things through, it'd be great. However, it's not. People are trying to force their will on us. They're trying to take advantage of us. I'm glad that God gave me this firearm in order to be able to get them to stop. And it's such a massive departure from Quaker ideology and a massive departure from what's mainstream today, because we see violence in media all the time. We see it as entertainment in movies and video games. And people say, well, that must be the reason why horrible things happen. This is the reason why there's so much wrong in the world. But yet we go back and we look at the statistics that comparatively, we are probably the safest generation in existence. We haven't had as many wars, as many killings, as many anything compared to just the 1800s. And the farther you go back, you have ransackings of entire towns, slaughterings of entire populations, and most of them were considered morally justifiable, especially at the beginning of the 19th century, the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, we saw that as industrial warfare increased, as the ability to kill each other became essentially more efficient, the opinion started to change a little bit that, wow, this is, this is actually really terrible. Before it was like, you might lose a couple of people or you might lose a lot of people. And it was a really rare occurrence because of the technology at the time. But the moment you started to have things like massive bombs, poison gases, machine guns, the ability of the individual soldier to be able to fight more efficiently, everyone was like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. We're going we're gonna to back this up a bit. This is a really terrible thing. And of course, every war that we encounter is really the previous war tried to be fought again until something new comes in. And usually at the last few years of a war, we see the, the concept of the next generation of warfare start to raise its head. So most people think of World War I as the first industrial war, and it actually isn't. The first industrial war is really the American Civil War. And near the end of that conflict, we see trench warfare. We see this uh, use of really Gatling guns and essentially machine guns uh, being employed on both sides of the U by the United States and the Confederacy. And they're drug into trenches. And there's just such a high body count that people who are actually writing this down in the, in the journals and putting it in the news, people in Europe thought it was yellow journalism. They thought this was a bunch of lies that people were using to sensationalize the conflict and to make it seem larger than life. In reality, it was we were slaughtering each other in the dozens, and it was extremely easy. And when World War One kicked off, after everything converged into uh, that political quagmire that it was, there was a million men just gone, completely wiped off the face of the earth. And I was watching a question of why are there so many World War I memorials in Europe, but almost none in the United States? And the individual who was doing the, the talks answer was because the equivalent for World War I was the American Civil War. Almost every single town in the United States, especially on the East Coast and the South, has a Confederacy or a Union memorial to the people lost in the American Civil War because there was such a large amount of manpower that went into it that even small towns lost their entire male population because they were drafted and put into the war machine. And that, that happened, what was it? 
about 50 years later in Europe. That's why you encounter so many people emphasizing World War I in Europe compared to the United States because of the, the toll that it took on the population. Everything that you're saying, it does make sense. Um, it, kind of, it just had me start thinking of so many other things that had to do with it and it just I don't know I was I guess I was just putting the pieces to the puzzle while you were talking and your perspective is very interesting to me you know there's literally tons of branches that I can go from from what you just said right now and I'm kind of just stuck and I'm like oh <laughs> no that's that's how I was earlier today because I was thinking about what are we going to talk about because violence is such a huge subject it covers all of human history all of human mythology all of the religions it covers so much it goes from science to manufacturing to human resources to everything is just so inherent in human society that people think it's not they don't think it's a natural force they don't think it's a, a naturally occurring thing and they think of it as it's something that's outside of us but we look at animals animals engage in violence almost every single day exactly. and it's in one of my side projects i'm working with to help try to explain violence to people i look at ants Ants will go and enslave other ant colonies in order to get workers for their colony. They will wipe out other clans, they'll wipe out everything else. And it's just like, people's like, yes! animals are so cute. Just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just watched an entire colony enslave another one and has no moral quandaries about it. And you think animals are nice. It's, I know. It's completely mind boggling. It absolutely is, especially ants. Ants is such an interesting animal. Not a lot of people think about ants and what they're capable of for what you were able to explain about a little glimpse of the ants life. I swear it is absolutely true. And people don't think about how violence is anywhere and everywhere, but it comes down to someone's subjective moral where that line crossed. You know what I'm saying? So as soon as that line is crossed for them, then it comes, oh no, it's done black and white now you know once that line is yeah. crossed so it comes down to what is your moral justification boundary line to allow violence in your life or allow violence to be that last resort for you because people will say violence is never the last resort but in reality in reality in history people chose violence as the last resort to not only defend themselves to survive and to protect their land that was the biggest thing so it was justifiable very justifiable and then i think the difference is now is that we have media and it goes, it flies so fast now versus back then you, you heard about it months later, weeks later, and then you'd be like, oh, every, it probably had a reason, you know, you, yeah. you were able to justify it easier back then versus now. Now you just- life was cheaper. Life was absolutely cheaper than it was today because of, like you said, the increase of media and that we can now, we can now connect with other people from thousands of miles away. And before it was like, Maybe I might know all my friends in a town that's 15 minutes away. And that was my entire life. Like my dad tells me stories when he was growing up in uh, sl slightly rural Wisconsin. And the number of people that he knew that either died from accidents or other things like he lost, it was like four people in his school that either died from accidents or killed themselves. And it's like, when you think about that, it's like, that's not a lot of people. But when you have maybe two to 300 people in a town, that's like a fifth of uh, one five hundredths or something of the population. It's a, once you start getting into the percentages of it, it starts getting larger and larger and larger. And it's like, that's, that's significant. Especially yeah. if you lose two thirds of a population. All right. Two thirds of a population of a town of a hundred people is 
75 people. All right. That's not too bad. But when we go to 1,750, then we go to 10,750. And it's like, okay, that's a, that's a lot of people. That's in my area, that's whole towns just gone. And you know, think about it because you have the, the emotional aspects of it. Every time something bad happens, there seems to be a, a sudden push to, we have to solve the problem. We have to solve it right now. And when I was in insurance, we were doing life insurance and also for had to deal with legal things. One of the things that they emphasize is when there's a death in the family, when there's a significant event in your life, you're supposed to wait six months to a year before you make a decision. But like a week later after something happens, they're pushing, somebody's pushing for you to make a decision. It's like, if, if, if lawyers and doctors and everyone else can agree that you shouldn't make a decision in this span of time, you probably should look at the people who are trying to force a decision during that span of time because they're trying to take advantage of your emotional vulnerability. That's rather abusive, in my opinion, because like, why, why can't you just let people mourn, come to grips with the new reality that they have to orient themselves with, and then we can start looking for a problem or start looking for a solution to the problem that we've encountered before. Instead, we have 30 to 40 calls of we've got to do something. And sometimes the best thing to do in those situations is nothing because you have to orient yourself. You have to get into a right frame of mind because even, even people just losing pets puts them in a, in a bad state of mind because we're so connected with our animals these days, not as much as I used to, but it's like, you loved your dog, you loved your cat, and now they're gone. Now you have to come to grips with that. And now we move it to what people think is somewhat a little less important, like your family, the people you know, the people you used to see every single day. Now they're gone. Now there's that jagged hole in your life that you have to deal with. You have to become okay with it. You'll never be 100% okay with losing somebody. And you'll think of them often. You'll have to accept that they're gone. And I think that's part of this is, is that some people can't accept someone's going, that we have a mortal life, that we are going to die someday, that people we know are going to die someday. And unfortunately, in, in the modern media, in the modern world, because we live so long, because we have so much to preserve life in such a way, we aren't brushed with death as much. Like my grandparents, all of them are gone. And now my, my dad's siblings are starting to die. Like my oldest uncle, he's finally passed. My brother, who has a different family to me, his grandparents are gone. Most of his aunts and uncles are gone. His dad's gone. All these people are slowly but surely being lost to us. And oh, we'll have the memory of them. We'll have the impact they have on our lives. We have to be able to move on and to create a world where other people can grow up and enjoy the lives that we had but carry on our legacy. And that's, that's you look around, there's not a lot of people who advocate building a legacy for themselves or a legacy of their ideals, their, their practices, anything. And it's just like, yeah, the world's going down in a handbasket. Don't do anything. It's like, that's, that's, a, that's the complete opposite of what led us to where we are today. It used to be, you would build your legacy. You will have your children. You will have your, your beliefs carried down by them. They'll bring and tell stories of your name for generations to come. And today it's just, it's mediocrity. Yeah. You know, nicely said, perfectly said, to be honest, while you were saying that, I think it just shows the deeper problem to the issue just because they're stamping violence is the issue. Guns is the issue. You know, hate crimes is the issue. In reality, the issue comes down to what you just said, fear of dying. No, who, no matter who's at the other end 
it's fear of dying by somebody from something, even if it's a disease, they're just afraid of dying and afraid of just acknowledging the fact that death is inevitable. Death is inevitable to every single body. And I've spoken about this with other uh, individuals and we all come to agreements that it's a problem. You know, everybody, the society and media, they make it seem like you can live this fantasy of living forever. But in reality, no one's going to live forever, you know, and I think that's the real issue. Yeah. I oddly enough find it very comforting to know that I will someday die. It's weird. It's it's, it's absolutely strange in that I know how the story is going to end. I absolutely know how the story is going to end. When, where, how is what I have to find out. Yeah. And it's it's writing that story that goes into the storytelling aspects that I love is that most of the information that we transmit to each other, most of the, the knowledge and the, the wisdom are told in stories. We can use modern media as an example. We can use movies and anything else, and we can use them to illustrate a concept or multiple concepts. And people will sit and think about it, and they'll become better from that thought. But today, because there's just so much really bad storytelling out there. There's no good stories anymore. Yeah. And there's no like, there's no, there's no moral lean. Oh, it, it, we have to have everything be this, this bland, neutral gray. And it's like, I, 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 love, I love a good gray story, but there has to be some contrast. I mean, there has yeah. to be a contra- uh, a conflict or a, a growth, something that I can I can relate to this character. I can relate mm-hmm. to the main character. They have to overcome something. And through that, most of the times, the easiest way to convey that conflict is to depict it as violence because, uh, well, you can see it. You can't necessarily see the inner workings of somebody's head, but you can see an outward depiction of it. You can mm-hmm. see. You can feel it. Of, you can imagine yeah. it. Exactly. And yeah. I know I know what you mean, because I'm writing a novel that's a little bit fantasy mm-hmm. and I have to add violence. And mm-hmm. I know you're probably thinking the same thing. And like you just said, you have to add violence for a real good, juicy story that I want to reread again or rewatch again. I need some action. I need some violence. I need something, like you said, to make me feel some type of relation in yeah. any type of way, shape or form. And to remove that, is bland and boring there's no such thing as a happily ever after and sometimes it bothers me that disney does that and they make everything seem happily ever after in reality all of those movies that they founded you know the original ones they all had a terrible horrible (laughs) ugly ending yeah Yeah. i have a, a good collection of grimm's fairy tales they're some of the best fantasy stories you can encounter and it's just like everything was terrible and then it got worse and now it got a little bit better but now you've learned something from it mm-hmm. actually one of my friends recommended a, a great series the first book of it's called one second after i recently finished it oh my god i felt great anxiety from reading that book because it is so realistic because it explores wow. what would happen if an emp hit the united states and just wiped out everything we take for granted from computers to refrigeration to everything and the book was escalating at a pace that i thought you couldn't have in a good story like the the first chapter it's okay like the first few pages you're they're saying the scene you're getting connected with the uh, the main character yeah, and all of a usual. sudden you can feel the tension start to ratchet up and it ratches up so much by the end of the first chapter i was like oh my goodness i can't read the rest of this is this if this is gonna keep increasing like this i don't know what it is and it's as my my friend told me it's gonna get worse 
but then it's gonna get worse and oh my oh. goodness by the end of it the uh it is so emotionally not torturesome but it's it's realistic in how bad it would be and you have many miniature victories but you can it, it doesn't feel like it the tension's going up it feels like everything is just going downhill and it's like a 90 degree drop it's like you cannot stop that sounds like bad. an amazing that sounds like my type of book that sounds like I, I highly recommend book. it. I what really is it called do. again? One second after. One second and there's three after. books. I, I'm afraid to start the second one because oh. it's called One Year Later. And uh, I can only imagine with that just being with the little description that you I didn't even want you to finish, to be honest. That's mm. why I had to cut you off because I'm already getting anxious. I'm like, oh my goodness, what would I do? I have to read it to know what they would do, you know, so I, I could just, give me a leeway. <laughs> I will warn you, you will cry. Absolutely. Oh, I I'm did. A <laughs> I, 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 my dad is very open. Like He cries very easily. Oh my goodness. I was just sobbing at like the last chapter. It was like, oh, oh. no, I knew this was coming, but no. Ah, oh. nobody understands when you are able to read a good book and you are able to start crying and people are looking at you like what is your problem like i'm sorry yeah. but you just don't know how good this is that yeah. is so funny i'm gonna have to check it out because that sounds really good oh that's so funny um i guess to start wrapping up the show what would be some great advice that you could possibly give myself or my audience well education is always important but what people actually get as education these days really isn't so look to other sources, look to people and piece as much information as you can together in order to get a feel of, of what you want to know. Find something that you're passionate about, like really tickles your interest and, and go at it, but also take some information from the stuff that's a little bit boring because I have a wide variety of, of hobbies and information that I have to use for both work and fun. And it's, it makes it sound like I have no real specialty, but it's, comes in handy so much it is a special it's a hidden specialty i'm gonna yeah. just say just acknowledge it it is yeah. a hidden specialty you know what i mean yeah. don't discredit what you do because it's still worth something you know it still has oh, it's value. great to be a generalist it really is uh, that's why be a generalist but have a little specific thing that you really can talk about and two things try to play a tabletop rpg because they're going to help you uh understand things explore things a little bit better in a nice safe area and what was the second thing? The second thing was also important. Always be open to learning, but make sure you just don't have your brain open so it just all falls out. Mm. If, if that understands that's no i mean it, make, it makes sense like you're listening but you're not really hearing what's being said it's just in one ear out the other as people say yeah no i understand i but my question was what was what's tabletop rg rb what was that R R rpg what's, yeah tabletop what is that? role playing games stuff like oh, dungeons and like dragons virtual reality and stuff like that dungeons and dragons pathfinder all this stuff they oh. have they're great fun they really are they um it's essentially grown up make believe you can uh, use dice and other things to portray a character and go on little adventures and you can explore different aspects of yourself and different problems and other things. Uh, it's a really great hobby. I really recommend looking into it. There's a lot of great systems out there. And if you can, if you like, it's like the ultimate hobby because you can have stuff for like, if you like painting, you can paint miniatures or make little maps and all these other things. If you like storytelling, you can write your own adventures and backstories for characters. And then you can bring that all together with your friends or people who will eventually become your friends and they'll bring their talents to it. And you get to explore how they interact with little 
cosmos of a world that either you made or somebody else made and you share in this experience without having to take a 500 mile walk on foot in terrible conditions so that you can have a connection with people that you wouldn't have unless you were somewhere in the middle ages and you had to spend three months with these people journeying to whatever pilgrimage you're doing it's a great time i highly recommend that's funny because I love the Big Bang Theory and mm-hmm. that's how I kind of figured out the D&D and um, Dungeons and Dragons and when they played the part and when they did that scene I thought it was so interesting I was like you know what that seems pretty cool and then for you to describe it seems it's basically the same way they did it on um, on TV and it does sound pretty cool so yeah I guess people try it out I think it's pretty cool I guess I'm a little nerdy to think that yeah. way but hey it's okay to be nerdy <laughs> it is there's a lot of great uh, other things out there I run several games every couple of weeks and uh yeah try it out go right ahead it, you won't lose anything important except time unless you find a bunch of people who are really terrible at it and unfortunately or actually fortunately for me i have not yet encountered too many horror stories from my own games so that's <laughs> risk good. it that's- right that's good well then i guess there you go ladies and gentlemen you heard it first we had a great conversation trans i really did enjoy my time speaking with you you really had kept my my mind thinking and rolling so i could only imagine my audience are probably thinking a lot more as well with um for this and if anybody wants to know more about trends go check out trends website he has a blog he has tons of information tons of his perspective for many years believe me i was checking it out so you guys should go check it out too you can see his picture it's on my website mitzithinking.com go click out find out more and you can find out more about trends so till next time y'all bye, bye. <laughs>